Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Faith and Justice. My name is Boston. My pronouns are he, him. My name's Lyndon, pronouns he, him, the other podcast co-host. Today uh, on the pod, we'd like to talk about year in review, what it's like for Boston and I to have started a podcast this year, something we talked about for a while and has come to fruition, which we're very happy about. So what that experience has been like. And then with that, what do we hope for? What do we hope for in 2024? So that could be both where life is taking us individually and then also with our storytelling, with a podcast and, and with a growing audience as well. And with what time we have left over, maybe to take stock of where things are at in uh, the progressive church and church writ large, maybe hopes and dreams there as well. So maybe maybe just to start us off, uh, I'm just very grateful. It's a good note to end on for 2023, a note of gratitude that we are having this opportunity for storytelling uh, with Let's Talk Faith and Justice, to have had guests on, for Boston, you and I to have had conversations and to figure out what it means just to have a podcast and what that involves. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, it was not, like you said, we talked about it for a long time. It was not easy to get started, to be honest. I like, you know, you think how, how hard can it actually be to get a podcast started, really? Like, right. And, but I feel like we learned, um, very quickly that we kind of wanted this like perfect polished like final product right we wanted a script and exact guests and what exactly what we were going to talk about and we kind of learned like if we don't just do it we're never going to do it if we keep trying to polish it and make it you know perfect it's never it's never going to happen so it's uh definitely taught some lessons in that that way you know, and uh, I mean, we're recording this over Zoom right now. I happen to be at CFUV. You're at home. And something that I observe walking in here, and is often the case, is that uh, this place reminds me of church in different ways. Uh, partly that there are literally two people in here running the station today. And lots going on in the background. There's a whole pool of volunteers, lots of people making shows. That just reminds me of how church happens. If you walk into the church office, often there are three or four of us, uh, sometimes less uh, on a given day. Uh, but then there's this whole pool of people who really make things happen and give uh, a church congregation life. And here we're playing, whereas I play a more central role at the church, here I'm like one of those I'm a lay person who's contributing to some program here. Um, and I don't know, somehow it fills me with joy that we're on a campus radio station that uh, it's a joyful space. You can tell sometimes people are weary because there's a lot of heavy lifting for a few number of people, but they continually do it and they put on this radio station um, that is complete with podcasts. And so that gives me some joy, maybe some insight to know, as you said, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's more important that we show up, um, that we reach out, that we book some guests uh, and 
and kind of learn by doing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, and it was uh, talking about guests. We, I feel like we got, we had some really cool guests this year, like that I'm, I'm grateful for. I didn't expect to, uh, to get the national bishop of the Lutheran church so soon into what was she like? She was like the first guest that we had or the second guest that we had on, on the podcast, which was very cool. It was, uh, yeah, it's, I have really appreciated how in the last year, this podcast has given us a chance to connect with people on, on campus in terms of, you know, we've had a few moments at CFUV where we're had you know leaving the studio and someone will stop us and be like oh what are you guys recording in there and we have a big chat and we connect with people that way and connecting with ch church folk all across Turtle Island all across Canada connecting with Christians on campus locally it's just yeah it's been uh it's great that's and that's kind of what I feel like I don't know about you Lyndon but that's kind of what I had pictured it from the start having, you know, ha having the podcast open opportunities for us to, to connect in those ways. Yeah, I agree with that, that in some sense, um, people have just been so gracious to, to be on the podcast and it's a way to do storytelling in a way uh, that churches in Canada don't often have that opportunity in those platforms. I mean, you're familiar with a range of church-ish podcasts in the U.S. that are more prolific. Um, there's a few in Canada, uh, but not a lot in in the Lutheran Church, for example. I can think of a few, and maybe that would be fun to me to have a conversation with some other podcasters in the Canadian Church. Something to think about. Um, and just, you know, hearing the kind of joyful response from people that there, there, there are these opportunities and we just have to, we just have to make them. We just have to go for it like we're doing here. It doesn't have to be that hard. In some sense, other, other than the logistics of scheduling time for us to be, to have this conversation at the same time, uh, another Part of it is just to reach out to guests in advance. It's like so much in life of like scheduling appointments in advance because everyone's got different schedules, different time zones, that kind of thing. Um, and maybe have some guests on here. There are so many friends who've written books who would be really interesting. I have to admit one reason I've been slow to reach out to some of them is I need to read their book first or at least parts of the book so that uh, to have an informed conversation. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, people I know who'd be willing to come on and talk about what does an emerging church look like in the midst of the kind of unrest, kind of global unrest, and at the same time, church structures that are atrophying, like a sense of some of the wider church budget has diminished, uh, and yet, there's these creative opportunities at the same time. So kind of a death and resurrection. And something we, we talked about before we started that I mentioned to you is um, kind of looking ahead with as we look ahead with a podcast 
And so too, as we look ahead with, with the church, that there's this theme of God creating new things and new possibilities that often go overlooked. Because if we just look at things through, say, like a corporate lens or something, say, yeah, the balance sheet for some of the larger church structures isn't great. And that could lead us to think, well, that means there's, there's nothing happening there. But yet, just for seeds that are germinating under the soil, there's this opportunity for, for new connections. And maybe those connections will happen more quickly because we need each other so much more, right? We're not as denomination-based. We're not just Lutherans uh, doing things on our own, but all those other partners and other church colleagues who are doing cool things and we need to hear from them and work together. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I don't know about you, but I have already quite a few people that I would like to ask make an appearance in the next year for for the podcast. It's uh, yeah, I think I think it's important because I feel like um, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but things can feel very far away sometimes. Like um, there there are so many amazing people in the Lutheran church and in the Anglican church, all these different denominations, sort of a church in general that are doing all this awesome work. But sometimes it feels like um, everyone's doing it in a bit of a, I don't know, I'm, I was going to use a term. I'm a little tired today though. I can't, I don't know if it's the right English word to use there, but they're kind of doing it in their own echo chamber a little bit. And you kind of just, you hear about them sort of offhand and you're like whoa that sounds so amazing like what like why have I never heard of this before and I yeah I'm hoping that this podcast can be a way to bring those stories I mean we uh we got some listener statistics recently just out of interest and we have some a lot of people listen in Canada but some in the United States and so so kind of I think I think a lot of our listenership is local, but still, I mean, bringing those stories to local and and to those who listen to us, I guess, outside of the country, which I never expected. Yeah, and I think the one of the goals of the first year of having a podcast is just the consistency of putting out episodes, building up that listenership, and then over time, you develop those relationships with people and uh, something to work towards, right? Would be having like a newsletter list or something to be able to send updates to people who are listeners um, and be in touch with them that way. Uh, I often get the, the kind of best practices from other podcasts I listen to probably like you and, and others um, listen to the Sandy and Nora podcast who I think came in number three overall for po politics podcasts in Canada. And of that, they were the only really indie ones. Uh, others were like big name broadcast journalists who have podcasts either on their own or through some other banner. Um, so that's a pretty big deal. To, um, and it's really the two of them. And there you have the number one indie politics podcast in Canada. And they're just trying to get funding together to have someone help edit their episodes like they are still currently editing their own episodes there's no production team 
There's no intern. Uh, they're just doing it all. And, the, and so they're in the number one place for, for the thing they're doing. Um, so it's also a humbling thing to think of like, these are people I really look up to. I'd like to really go to one of their live shows, see what they're doing. And yet they are the ones, you know, uh, kind of running things through all the processing to get it up to a professional speed for, for what they're putting out. Um, but it's, yeah, it's exciting to see those things happening. And so to, to have a platform and in the progressive church world, I think about what opportunities are there for us and how that opens more doors. Like it'll allow us to help build those relationships that will continue beyond that one conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I've also been thinking about um, just the opportunity for progressive churches to play a role uh, in the wider culture of being a space for community organizing and community good. I think a lot of people outside churches don't see us in that light at all. Um, a lot of people, particularly in in the, the Pacific Northwest, uh, see churches either they don't think about them or often see us negatively given the colonial history and baggage we continue to carry uh, and colonial practices that persist to this day. Uh, so that's unsurprising and in some sense deserved. So we have to earn people's trust and build up relationships for that to be different, which we are, are doing bit by bit. A lot of that happens at the neighborhood level as we're doing at Church of the Cross in Victoria. I think building up people's trust through conversation and relationships. Um, but I think that needs to happen on a wider level as well. And Often, as you noted, like people get so stuck on the local level of the thing we're doing, we forget that we're interconnected and that there are political movements that are malevolent sweeping across Canada and, and through the U.S. And as churches, we could be pushing against that. We don't have to be passive. That's particularly elements of Christofascism, where we see the rise of the far extremist right groups that find inroads in churches because they're convenient places that often have a meeting space, uh, dedicated volunteer base, people who meet weekly and have a lot of reach in people's lives. So I think, I think progressives um, often neglect churches and religious spaces as really valuable partners. And again, it can be because there is a history of religious trauma so I get that. But as we try to go for a different approach and tell a different story, I'm excited about what could be uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's it's 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 hard when like. Well, I get you know, I keep saying this, so I'm going to just stop saying it because I'm like, we've talked about it before. Yeah, this is a year in review part episode, so I'm going to talk about stuff we've talked about before, but um, just that sort of lack of um, 
I guess education or like lack of knowledge in terms of like like when someone sees a church they just say a church right they don't they're like they have no idea what the difference between like a an ELCIC church to like a Catholic church or to a whatever whatever denomination they just see a church and they they is kind of I think that people sometimes assume and which is valid I mean like you said like I did it growing up as well I just assumed that all churches were one way and then it kind of blew my mind to find out that they weren't (laughs) um but yeah it's well we kind of we kind of also kind of discussed different topics for today and we we were thinking about um talking about Gaza of course uh, because it's still still relevant unfortunately I you know you would hope that right now we're recording this on December 21st and we've been talking about it on here since the beginning of October and it's still just as relevant then as it is now um or now as it was then um it's hard because I feel like we and again we've talked about this but with progressive churches, and especially in Canada, there's a, there's a desire to not, like you said, there's a desire to be passive. Like we don't want to be too aggressive, and we don't want to scare people away. And so we, instead of you know, coming out and making strong statements or taking strong action, I feel like it's such a habit to be like, well, we'll make like we'll make a statement or something like once every few months on this like pertinent world issue but something that I have noticed the last few months especially with what's been going on in Palestine is that like some of the people that I thought were the most progressive are the most silent in in terms of what's going on right like even after repeated calls and so I don't know and I don't know how to and I mean, obviously, it's not only for me to solve also, like, but, but in my mind, I really don't know how we can move beyond that fear of being passive. Um, and we've, we've talked about it before, where we said, like, you know, the, the people on the right, or like the really aggressive right wing people, like they're, they come on strong, right? They're mm-hmm. in your face. Um, I think about an example. Um, there was something that I saw from the United States. I can't remember. I, I should have done even one minute of research before I brought it up because I can't remember basically anything about like the specifics of it but there was a state uh legislature that had a a satanic temple display up because the satanic temple like went through like the proper process and we're like yeah we want our display up and like the government was like yeah sure like we have freedom of religion you went through the right processes like sure and everyone jumped on the governor and said what are you doing this is evil this is evil and he's 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 a pastor and he said listen he said i don't agree with satanism but they went through the right process like what am i like he's like you guys elected me to be your governor and so i'm going to be the governor and i'm going to say yeah it's fine to have this up and the right-wing christian politician in the u.s went in and like just destroyed it like just aggressively went in and tore it down and made all these statements like this should have never been allowed and you know used it as a bit of a sort of uh pulling in the voters but that's the kind of thing like they're like they're very aggressive 
And I mean, there's obviously way, like, I don't agree that he should have, you know, I don't agree that he went in and tore it all down, but it's like, I feel like we do need to learn a little bit. How can we figuratively go in and tear it, metaphorically go in and tear it down, right? Like as progressive churches, because we don't, we don't want to do anything ever. Right. Well, I mean, that, that, that's an interesting example you bring up. The other one locally that comes to mind still is when the convoy was in its heyday and they were tearing around near the legislature, BC legislature, downtown Victoria. And there were some churches that were hosting some of these kind of so-called freedom groups and they would have their big statements and speakers at the legislature which was really just about having a big rally because they, even they know like no one can really hear what people are saying at those things because it's usually just a bunch of noise. It's more just about getting bodies and saying, hey, we've got people behind this. That's a bit of political theater. Uh, then they would rent like a, a community hall, have an event there. And then another one was in a church um, that was in Victoria proper. and. I was like, oh, okay, we better take note of this. This isn't just the weird suburban church that, you know, is into that, the little baby mega church or something like that. Usually those guys are have stuff locked down a little more. Like they might passively be permitting that, you know, that kind of messaging, but it's actually some more kind of fringe type churches where they're just, they full on embrace that. Right. They're just going to aggressively go for that. Um, and they had things like professionally live streamed and were broadcasting to wide audiences. And like they really invested in that event in a way that I I haven't really seen a correlate of that in progressive churches where we're organizing, say, even just a one day conference that has some kind of um like rally type aspect. Not that we're trying to do the mirror image of what they're doing, but the idea is that yeah, you do have to be out on the street and you do have to be loud and bold to push back against that. I mean, we did a bit of that with the in response to the Soji folks here when like a couple thousand people poured out to the BC legislature in October those anti-queer, anti-soji gatherings and members of churches came and so did clergy um, and were publicly identifying as such. And, and we did kind of push them to the edge of the legislature lawn. Yeah. Um, so that's an example of that, but that those would also be opportunities to have like a speaker on that and say, this is why we're not just a queer affirming congregation, but why we think queer affirming values are at the core of our theology and not just, so yes, as Christians, but then also why we're part of this wider community and together we can repel forces that um, are harmful to our queer siblings and neighbors. That uh, It's organizing together that we can we can do that. So I think there are some some opportunities for that. 
And I think it very much like this podcast that in some sense the the bar feels high to get it started, but once you do it, you're a bit surprised how easy it is. Like, yes, being consistent is hard because you have to show up every week um, as we're trying to do, but the bar isn't that high to do something. Even if you have 20 people show up, you've done something, you've had a public event, the ball's rolling. And it's then the consistency of following up with that. We we experienced that in another degree with having our first live show, which hilariously, you could write a short story about like the comedy of trying to put together uh, a live show. I think I first had these visions of grandeur that we we're going to have this large space available to us in the sub with Student Union building at UVic. Those spaces were not available. They were all booked. And then I'm like, well, maybe just a, a mid-sized space. Like, no, not that either. And it was super complicated, the whole booking process and all this. Um, and we were doing it as part of a university event and there were a lot of moving pieces. Booking the space turned out to be the hardest piece of that whole thing. Oh, yeah. And then I can't remember, you had the idea that there were these seminar rooms basically in the basement of the student union building which was conveniently located near the radio station. And it helped because Troy from CFUV was able to wheel of cart of all this recording equipment um, and set that up in the seminar room, which yeah. frankly, we'll probably do again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, shout out again to the UVic Guitar Club for not kicking us out in the middle yeah, of our- Thank you, UVic <laughs> Guitar Club, not kicking yeah. us out of the- we mistook the, there's two rooms and I got the wrong room and we configured it with recording equipment and then guitar club showed up and said, Hey, we're here to play guitar. And we're like, Hey, do you mind if we switch? Yeah. Um, and they were so cool about it. it was very they nice. were so cool. Some people a little surprised who came in with guitars to see Christian podcasters. Yeah. But uh, they found where they were going, got to play guitar. Um but at the end of the day, with all that wrangling, we just ended up in the teeniest, tiniest seminar room. And it was enough, right? We could have six of us on a panel. We could have 25 people there lis listening. We could do that again. The bar, it wasn't that much work, really. Um, and so I'm kind of excited about that, that you start with an idea. So it doesn't have to be like, Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this anti-fascist thing, and we're gonna pack a room with three hundred and fifty people. Well, probably not. Yeah, but we could do something, and a few people come out the first time, and then maybe a few more the next time. Uh, and the more like groups we get to know who are working on that, then it doesn't just have to be our name up there, but everybody inviting their guest list. Of people who might show up and then pretty soon you do have a larger number um so i'm i'm excited about some of those opportunities but it does involve a little planning a little flexibility because sometimes those things turn on a dime like oh, yeah. wow this thing's raging wow what are we going to do in response so you have to be pretty nimble to respond to that pretty quickly and then the third thing would be yeah, being able to mobilize people to show up to something. So that could be that could be a great opportunity. 
And that could be podcasts. That could also just be uh, some kind of speaker, sort of like having a few people on a panel uh, to do with organizing, in which case you don't want to publicize your organizing in, in those cases, right? It could be just a straight up, hey, everyone's hurting right now. How can we help each other? And it's uh, almost, uh, yeah, as, as you said, we're recording. It's a few days before Christmas Eve. And I mean, I'm thinking about what does that mean to, to lift up this story of uh, a baby who is born in the Holy Land and like all the kind of historic layers on that and what's happening in the Holy Land now in Israel, Gaza, uh, with Palestinians, um, there are just so many, so many directions that could take, um, and how you invite people into a conversation around that that's meaningful, that bridges the gap of people who are maybe afraid to talk about things too openly for fear of being criticized. I think there's like a real fear of, uh, critique. Uh, a fear of maybe being canceled in some sense. I mean, there are people who have lost their jobs, yeah. uh, both in Canada and, and in the U.S. Presidents of universities have been, had to go before tribunals and Congress. Yeah. Um, so this stuff has like real world consequences. Um, so how we support one another in that and without just being silent or passive. Yeah, I don't know. I think you're doing it. It's yeah. the same old, you just got to do it. And, yeah. you know, you're going to get, you know, wrapped on the knuckles at some point. Like, that's just part of it. It's like going with a kid to a skate park. Those kids at skate parks, like, they fall down all the time. And they don't complain about it that much. Uh, they're just used to falling down a lot. Mostly, from what I can tell, most of skateboarding is like failure, as in learning any new thing. You mostly fail. They just try the same trick over and over and over and over and over and over until they get tired of it. Maybe they land it once or twice. Then they try something different, do that for another half hour, just over and over and over and keep falling or keep missing the thing or some not quite being fully right. Until they get it right, and then try to replicate that again. Um, and so, a lot of that is just extreme, like willingness to endure pain and failure. Uh, so, I think part of it is is that, you know, speaking out, having conversations, knowing someone's going to be upset about it, uh, realizing that it's not the end of the world. And relative to what people are actually going through in challenging places, having people mad at you isn't the worst thing in the world. And usually, often cases, you can talk through it and get different perspectives. And especially if you're meeting in person, build a maybe, you know, find some mutual appreciation, even if you never come to an agreement. If you're too far apart, that's reality. I think what I think we're people are surprised at like, oh, wow, we're really far apart on certain things, right? And we're not gonna come that much closer together on certain things. 
but we still respect each other as human beings and you might still have some relationship with that person and you can work on the things you do have you know you do have in common that could happen at a rally right you show up and you're like whoa you're on you you're on a different side of this uh rally than i thought so what's the deal right if you have if you have relationships with people you can have that conversation so at least i felt like i've been able to have some some hard conversations with people I know a little better. If I don't know them well, then no, that's not going to go very well. No. Um, so I think that the value of having a broad base of relationships with neighbors uh, with whom we might never agree on some fundamental things, and that's just the way it's going to be. But not being afraid to have the conversation. That's good. That's a good. It's hard though. It's difficult. It is hard. Yeah. Um, and and you don't you can't know in advance how people are going to react, and some people might just stop talking to you, and that's a possibility. Um, but I think like, I think even when you get we get the odd disgruntled person calling into the church about something they read on the sign or something, which I. To be honest, has happened less and less. Um, often they're just impressed that you that you responded to their email, or you called them back. They are shocked by both. Like they just fire off their rant into the void. They never expect to hear from us again because they think we're a wilting flower. Then we respond with some reasonable manner to their email or their voicemail, and they're shocked. Some people don't even know what to say. Or sometimes you have a, you know, an okay conversation. I've offered to meet people for coffee. That almost happened one time, um, but didn't quite pan out. But I think people are impressed that we that we're open to conversation because, you know, usually that that just doesn't happen. To leave a critical comment or re review somewhere, like a company, if they can, will either hide or delete your comment or minimize it in some way. Um, sometimes, I mean, I guess there's the whole customer service thing where they'll try to say, how do we make this right? Or how can we, you know, make this up to you or something? But it always feels a little gimmicky a bit. It's not very often that you just hear a voice saying, well, I'd like to talk with you about it then. Yeah. So I think there is a desire for that. So that's that's an, that's an opportunity. Not that we're going to then adjust and shift our message to fit people's comfort levels, but uh, to be willing to have conversations that are not comfortable. Any hopes and dreams for 2024? Well, it, just just what we're talking about, like just doing it, right? Like um, stop, yeah, just to stop letting, uh, like 
sort of perceptions like from us doing good things if that makes sense I don't know like I said I'm a little tired I'm just like sure. mentally listening back to that sentence I'm not sure if it made total sense but well you just uh, finished a whole set of exams and final projects and stuff in yeah. law school and yeah. you a seminary class on the go and all that stuff yeah that's a lot <laughs> um yeah so that's I'm I'm kind of excited about 2024. I'm not, I mean, maybe not the geopolitics of it. That part of it doesn't seem yeah, great. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a lot of opportunity and that people really desire uh, friendships and relationships and are looking for spaces uh, for real that have some religious meaning, that have some spiritual connection for them. Um, Although on thinking about those words, religious and spiritual, I thought it's amusing with some some folks the other day. Uh, I think I have to credit Nadia Boltzweber, who's a, a best-selling author and Lutheran pastor in the U.S., who who used the phrase in one of her books, um, "religious but not spiritual." Uh, just to flip flip around how that phrase often gets used, especially in West Coasty type circles. I'm spiritual but not religious. Like, what does that mean? that you're not invested in a tradition like some it can mean that yeah. like if you're just into some form of meditation that's disassociated from any community that it's just this practice you do on your own like what is that right if your practice isn't rooted in some kind of community in which you're committed to other people in which they might hold you accountable for your actions or things you say, what is it you're doing? If it's just like your morning yoga routine that you do on your own and it's good for your body, I mean, good for you. But that is like, that is not community, a community based, it's not rooted in a tradition that, that has uh, an integrity beyond the thing you're doing yourself. Like it can become solipsistic just as Christians practicing on their own, it can become solipsistic. And sometimes it's just a line people give pastors, right? Like, oh, I'm Christian, but I just I just do my own thing. Like I just, usually that means they don't do anything. <laughs> they wanna say, say something nice. Um, but I, that's one of my concerns for the kind of health and wellness and spiritual-ish West Coasty vibe. It's like, it's okay. You It doesn't have to be a traditional religion that you're following or any religion for that matter. Um, but it is a little concerning when people get invested in just a form of something that, to which there's no ethical underpinning to it at all. It just can be purely instrumental that it makes them feel better, which, okay, that's a fine thing to do for yourself. But how is that spiritual practice grounded in anything bigger than you? Right? If it's just you vibing with the universe, what, what about it? Right? Then the, what, what, what happens when the vibes stop? Or you're not feeling those vibes, then what? Like who, who's there to talk to you or who's there to check in on you or who, when, you know, is the universe vibing in a way to tell you maybe you should feed the, feed the hungry. 
Because if it's just like the universe telling me I should go for another hike and just feel good and be healthy, that's, again, those are good things to strive towards. I do those things, but that's not enough because there's no community in that. That doesn't help you get to know your neighbors or any of those things. And the same can be hold true of right any kind of athletic groups too, of which I love. I, I love running. I love being part of that, the community aspect. But there's always the danger that they become cut off from a wider community, right? And churches, right, we're obviously fall under the same critique that we can become a little bubble and a community that cares for itself, but not beyond itself. So we strive to be reflective about that. But that's my, that's my uh, challenge for, for listeners out there who, who aren't part of some wider community, maybe, whether it's religious or something else that is committing to, to caring for neighbors and getting to know them. Like, what, what are you doing? You know, if, if we keep talking about the world is in crisis or communities are in crisis, so what are you doing to get to know your neighbors? What are you doing to lift them up? <laughs> that's my that's my two cents for um uh, and and excited about what that could be what are the opportunities and how we share those opportunities um had people i run with ask like how they can help feed their neighbors and the shelburne community kitchen for example is in the lower level of the church and so i've put them in direct touch same day i always like give me your email i'm putting you in touch with the volunteer coordinator there today right well the iron's hot yeah there you go you're plugged into a system here a, a person who will talk to you and, and offer you opportunities here so that to me is like that's encouraging hearing those kinds of things absolutely i i'm just looking at the time um yes. and i think that that's a good place to end it up uh end of the year invitation of reflection and some some hope to end the year there we go rant yeah. slash invitation slash hopefulness yeah. exactly for 2024 yeah absolutely all right well let's be sure to thank all the folks the good people here at cfuv uh uvic.ca check them out see all the the shows that are there you can stream this podcast if you happen to be listening on the radio we're on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific time, but go check out the website. There's a lot of cool shows. You can stream them anytime, find them in your podcast apps. Uh, we want to thank Lutheran Church of the Cross, congregations where we are based, uh, Multifaith UVic, Inclusive Christians, the particular queer affirming club that Boston and I are associated with. Um, anyone else? And the, the Synod. We want to thank the BC, the BC Synod. Synod. Thank you very yeah. much, Bishop Kathy, all those folks in New West, in the Lower Mainland, uh, supporting us. Uh, Absolutely. And, and thank you to all the on, listeners. Yeah, all the listeners, and follow us on Instagram. What's the handle? Let's Talk Faith Justice. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you all again for listening. Thank you for... I mean, we haven't actually been going for a year, but it, it feels like it. We've been working on the podcast for a year. So we go. thank you. Thank you for the year. <laughs>